Well, last night uh, we finished part one of Wisdom versus Rubies. And for part two, we'll be looking at this uh, text in more detail. Uh, I don't know if we have the USB driver in there. Yes, we do. Uh, it's showing up on my screen. It's not showing up on your screen. Uh, but Revelation 22, verse 4 says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be, where? In their foreheads. Science first began to understand the importance of the frontal lobe as a result of a man by the name of Phineas Gage. He was the foreman of a railroad crew, was a faithful husband and father, possessed an iron will as well as an iron frame, said his boss at the railroad. In fact, uh, he was well liked by his fellow workers in addition to that. A lot of people with iron wills and iron frames are not well liked by the people around them. Uh, but Phineas was different. He was well-liked, despite that iron frame. He was also a religious man. He regularly attended church. In fact, he taught his weekly Sunday school class. He was intelligent and insightful, the most efficient and capable foreman in our employ, said the large railroad company that had hired him. And then came that fateful day of, we just had the anniversary of that this week as well. September 13, 1848. He kissed his wife and children goodbye and he said he would be home for supper. This was the area he was working in in Vermont. Vermont is well known for its mountains and they were blasting away granite to lay this rock. And the granite that they would blast away, there was a process process that actually Phineas had helped to refine and make more efficient. They would drill a long hole into the rock, they would fill it partially with explosive powder, they would carefully place the fuse into the powder. And this was actually done with a um, tamping bar's very sharp end. This tamping bar was actually designed by Phineas Gage, it weighed over 15 pounds, very heavy but yet fine piece of equipment. On one end was very sharp where he would attach the fuse and put it down through that gunpowder. And on the other end, it was a very blunt end that he would use later on after the sand was used to fill up the hole and then the sand plug was tamped utilizing the blunt end of the tamping bar as he would come down pretty vigorously on this side of things to produce that nice pressure so that uh, the fuse could be lit and people could have time to get away and that portion of the mountain would be blown away. This process is repeated multiple times that particular day and uh, it was about uh, four o'clock in the afternoon and uh, it's unclear exactly what happened but either Phineas's helper went to the wrong pile and filled up the entire hole with gunpowder or um, Phineas didn't wait until the sand was there. But we do know that the tamping bar's blunt end came down and contacted the explosive powder and his tamping bar then became a missile going through the eye of Phineas Gage out the top of his head and landing some 20 feet away from the scene. Amazingly, Phineas survived that accident. Within minutes he was walking around. Uh, he did have to go to a medical facility where the doctor had to be called out and to um, stop the bleeding, to sew up the wounds. Uh, and he did develop an infection, but through natural means the infection was cured. And within a few weeks, Phineas Gage was back on the job again. But he was, uh, what his people that he worked with would say, they called people then by their last name often, Gage is no longer Gage. He's fitful, he's irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, manifesting but little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires. Phineas is like a child who announces he is running away after lunch 
then comes up with a new idea over his sandwich. He's childlike in intellectual capacities. This is his uh, neurologist describing his, um, his behavior here. Childlike in his intellectual capacities and manifestations, yet has the animal passions of a strong man. And uh, he would uh, frequently lose his temper in an abrupt, short-lived manner. He would then apologize uh, for it. He was okay apologizing uh, for his behavior. Um, any woman that appeared desirable to him now, he would attempt to go after. And he no longer was interested in religious things. In fact, he would ridicule people who went to church. Uh, many individuals, when they look at how Phineas was described, um, they say, you know, it's almost like he's a modern man. In other words, he's fitting the vernacular of what a lot of people are like in today's society, but they haven't had their frontal lobes blown away by tamping bars. Uh, they've done it in other ways. Uh, this is actually, if you were to go to the Warren Anatomical Museum at Harvard University today, you would see Phineas Gage. Uh, this is his skull. Um, he died some 13 years later. By the way, he lost his job as foreman of the railroad crew. They offered him a lesser job. He wouldn't take it too proud. And he ended up joining the circus that traveled around the world. He used to carry his tamping bar around with him. With the change in his appearance, he was a circus act. And uh, he died um, some uh, 13 years later. He spent a lot of time in Chile. At first, it was thought he died there, but actually died in San Francisco. Um, and uh, Harvard requested that his body be exhumed and brought back. And uh, you would be able to see those detailed personality changes, and you would also see the skull of Phineas Gage. And by the way, this proved conclusively that many of the doctors at Harvard thought that this accident actually did not happen in the way it was described. They doubted the doctor that sewed up the wounds because they said this man should not have lived from this accident. When you have head trauma like that, you're a dead man. But if you notice the skull there, these are for those that are medical people, if you notice the skull there, that whole portion of the skull was actually blown away. You can see the hole that the tamping bar came out of there. And as a result of that, that whole area of the skull lifted up and there was room for expansion due to the bleeding and the swelling, and so Phineas Gage did not herniate his brainstem. That's how you die from head trauma, is herniation of the brainstem. He had plenty of relief. In other words, he had the neurosurgery done by the tamping bar itself to uh, relieve that pressure, and that's why he was able to live and still talk and walk around, et cetera, uh, was because the bolt had already been applied, so to speak, for those who are in neurosurgery. And so it proved conclusively that it did indeed happen the way it said uh, it did. But uh, Phineas did lose a large portion of the frontal lobe. We mentioned last night, scientific studies show the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. And it should be of significant concern to us as Christians. We talked about the other lobes of the brain just briefly, the temporal lobe where musical abilities are at. Memory is very much in the temporal lobe. By the way, that's why we put some of the most beautiful poetry to music. So you can remember it. What do we call that poetry that's put to music? We call them hymns. You know, if you get the hymn book out, a lot of people don't realize that's some of the best collection of poetry assembled in the world. Why is it that we neglect that hymn book uh, today when it has such beautiful words and beautiful music to help us memorize those words? That's what the, uh, the temporal lobe, and of course this is what the children of Israel would do in regards to learning their uh, scripture. It was put to music uh, to help uh, enhance that aspect. The occipital lobe is where architectural ability, our vision, spatial orientation, parietal lobe, calculation, division, subtraction, uh, and uh, speech is there. Cerebellum, by the way, when sports teams get together to compete, what, what they're actually uh, demonstrating is which team has a better corporately developed cerebellum. They don't recognize that's what they're doing, but that's really what they're doing. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, we have the frontal lobe of the brain. Now, one of the things that this slide can demonstrate is you can have a very high IQ 
parietal lobe, temporal lobe, occipital lobe. You know, when you're taking an IQ test, they're measuring your spatial visual orientation. They're having vocabulary. They're doing some math. They're doing some subsets. You can have that without necessarily having a good frontal lobe. And frontal lobe, of course, is the seat of wisdom. Uh, and uh, since the time of Phineas Gage, we have found other effects of compromised frontal lobes. Whenever the frontal lobe is compromised, there's an impairment of moral principle. If we want to see why morality is declining in any group or any society, it has to, you have to look at the frontal lobe. Uh, when morality declines, the frontal lobe is down. There's a social impairment. It's natural to love your family members, brothers, sisters, parents, children. If that natural love for family goes, frontal lobe problem. You have to look at it. Lack of foresight. Our ability to reason from cause to effect is a frontal lobe phenomena. And our ability to see into the future. And you can actually measure your child's frontal lobe development by how far he is planning for the future and how far he's looking ahead in regards to that future. And hopefully the youth here today are, uh, have their frontal lobes developed, that they're recognizing that their actions of today can actually have eternal consequences. Abstract reasoning is impaired. Your ability to interpret proverbs is a frontal lobe phenomenon. And uh, I often am asked to speak at a major high schools, and I'll actually give them proverbs to see how well their frontal lobe is functioning. It's amazing how many high schools today are just thinking on the concrete. They don't have the ability uh, to go into the abstract. Their frontal lobes aren't there yet. Mathematical understanding is diminished. I mentioned calculation, division, subtraction being parietal lobe. Higher forms of math, uh, calculus, higher forms of algebra do require a frontal lobe. This is something we see characteristic across the board. When the frontal lobe is compromised, empathy goes away. And by the way, some people with compromised frontal lobes believe it is impossible to have empathy. Uh, or for anyone else to have it, for that matter. And of course, one of those statements that comes up with that is, you have no idea what this person's going through unless you have been in their shoes. Did you know that that is a statement that says that there is no such thing as empathy? Empathy is the actual, you can feel precisely the same emotions. You can understand really in as full a way as you can understand it without ever having going, going through that. If you understand what that individual has gone through, the circumstances that set up, you can even feel those same emotions and feelings. It's called empathy, but it is impossible if you don't have a well-functioning frontal lobe. And so having that well-developed frontal lobe is, is necessary in order for us to be able to exhibit Christ's love in our life, uh, which is really part of that, uh, that empathy. And when the frontal lobe is compromised, you see lack of restraint, boasting, hostility, these type of things. Uh, you'll see that evidence of lack of restraint on Sunday afternoon after the touchdown is scored. Uh, and uh, the evidence of frontal lobe compromise uh, that's there. Um, they may have good cerebellums, but not necessarily good frontal lobes. Uh, there are drugs that, uh, that can damage besides, of course, accidents. There are illicit drugs, whether it's amphetamines, cocaine, marijuana. Marijuana causes suppression of the frontal lobe of the brain. Very clear that it does that. Also takes away your motivation, will lower your emotional intelligence, and it does increase the risk of a number of cancers, despite uh, some of the misinformation uh, that's out there. Uh, it is something that, uh, uh, of course, uh, cocaine is also going to suppress the frontal lobe of the brain, narcotics, et cetera. There are some prescription drugs that can also adversely affect it, and that's why we always have to weigh the benefits versus the risks of, uh, of utilizing these drugs. Some of the prescription drugs that are very popular today that suppress the frontal lobe of the brain are the benzodiazepines, the Xanaxes. Valiums, Ativans, um, you know, uh, Lorazepams, etc., commonly prescribed for people with emotional issues uh, to try to calm them, but in reality suppress the frontal lobe of the brain and end up complicating things even that much further. There are legal drugs, of course, that can damage. Alcohol affects the frontal lobe of the brain first before it affects any other portion of the brain. Now, if you were to drive at the legal limit of alcohol intoxication in the state of Oregon, 0.08%, and a policeman were to pull you over, would you be able to walk a straight line? 
You could. In fact, if you were skilled at doing so, you could hit a curveball out of a baseball park. By the way, that's been demonstrated. There are baseball players that actually have had drinks prior to going out in a major league game and hitting home runs. That's how good their coordination is. So why is it then that they're 10 times as likely to get into an automobile accident? It has to do with their judgment. That's what happened to Princess Dye's driver. He was walking straight lines. He was conversing normally. No one recognized he was drunk, but he attempted to negotiate a turn in a tunnel at a speed that was impossible to negotiate. That wreck has been analyzed. The best race car driver in the world would not have been able to successfully negotiate that turn at that speed. And thus, he lost his life. Others lost their life as well. Now, the next day, he'd be able to successfully negotiate that turn because he would slow it down. His judgment would be better. That uh, driving just requires concrete interpretation. But as I mentioned last night, abs critical abstract thinking takes two weeks to fully recover. One of the reasons why it's best to totally avoid alcohol. Nicotine has a suppressant effect on the frontal lobe of the brain in a little more subtle way than alcohol, but the most commonly consumed drug in America also has an adverse effect. Anyone want to guess what that is? That's right. Caffeine is the most commonly consumed drug in America. It blocks the adenosine receptors in the frontal lobe of the brain. Uh, Pavlov studied this out. Typists can type a little bit faster under the influence of caffeine, but they make 10 times as many errors. Uh, and recently, the information has gotten to the point that quarterback coaches around the NFL are telling their NFL quarterbacks to consume zero caffeine. Now, it's interesting, the lineman coaches are not telling their linemen to consume zero caffeine. <laughs> now, that seems a little unfair, doesn't it? Those linemen are after the quarterback, and they're wanting to sack them, and so they're revved up. But the quarterback's told no caffeine. Doesn't that seem pretty cruel of those quarterback coaches <laughs> to do that? Why is it that they're told not to consume caffeine? Who is it that needs to have the frontal lobe on that field? You know, the frontal lobe is analyzing information and then making a wise decision. And sometimes you have to make it in a quick period of time. And if the quarterback coaches are telling their quarterbacks no caffeine, do you think there is a reason why Christ, in wanting you to live a more abundant life for him, recommended that you consume no caffeine? You know, there's been even studies showing that caffeine increases your risk of gossiping. <laughs> the definition of gossip is sharing private information with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the solution to the problem. That was the definition used in the study. And if you have caffeine on board, you're much more likely to do that when you, than when you don't have caffeine on board. I'm sorry about the tea party, political party, but if they have caffeine in their tea, uh, they're probably going to cause more harm than good sometimes uh, when they're getting together. And interestingly, Ellen White said, when these tea and coffee users meet together for social entertainment, the effects of their pernicious habit are manifest. All partake freely of their favorite beverages. And as the stimulating influence is felt, what happens? Their tongues are loosened and they begin the wicked work of talking against others. Their words are not few or well chosen. That underscores another important role of the frontal lobe of the brain. And that important role is the frontal lobe is often a break on human behavior. When we get into a car, we want to make sure it has a good engine. But just as important is that it have good brakes. And Phineas Gage lost his brakes in that accident. But many people are losing their breaks simply due to their lifestyle habits and what they're doing to impair the frontal lobe of their brain. This goes along with what Peter said. Wherefore, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. What is he saying there? He's saying, let's have our minds, your minds, be as sharp as they can be. Gird up the loins of your mind. Let's strive for sharp minds. And then the next statement he says is, be what? Sober. Now, the Greek word is translated in English, sober. 
Do you know what the actual Greek word means? Be abstinent. In other words, abstinent from anything that's going to affect the ability for us to gird up the loins of our mind. And then he says, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So after we gird up the loins of our mind, and after we are living an abstinent lifestyle, which is a Christian lifestyle, then we can hope to the end for the grace that will be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the frontal lobe desire for optimal function? Carbohydrates are used almost exclusively by the brain for optimal function. What foods have carbohydrates in them naturally? Fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. Interestingly, the original diet, Genesis chapter 1. Ellen White quotes those four food groups, and then she says this, after quoting those four, they impart a strength, a power of endurance, and what else? A vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. Now, when science first began to understand, by the way, meat is a carbohydrate deficient food. High in fat, high in protein, it's carbohydrate deficient. One of the reasons why meat does not come out on top as far as intellectual function is concerned. But when science first began to understand the importance of carbs, they thought, well, sugar ought to be good for the brain uh, because that's carbohydrate, right? Actually, studies show the opposite. Large amounts of sugar in the diet have been demonstrated to impair frontal lobe functions in school-aged children. It's also been shown to be true in adults. And of course, we should have figured this out. What happens after we eat a candy bar to our blood sugar? Spikes up, and within 20 minutes, our pancreas thinks we've eaten a large amount of fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. Because that's the natural way we would have gotten that up there. And so it cranks out a lot of insulin to handle that huge load. But all we've had is a candy bar. And within 20 minutes, your blood sugar is down lower than it was before you ate the sugary substance. And once hypoglycemia occurs, it takes four hours for the frontal lobe to fully recover. Now, the memory can work well. You can still memorize in school. If it's just a memory test, you'll still do well. But if you have to think and problem solve, it's going to have an adverse effect. And that's one of the reasons why it makes about a grade letter difference in most uh, subjects. And one of the reasons, in fact, the spirit of prophecy is pretty strong on sugar. When you, uh, when you listen to what she says in regards to large amounts of sugar, um, she talks about it actually being more injurious than meat. Uh, and so uh, it's one of the things that, uh, uh, it's not just the absence of meat message, there's a lot more to nutrition than that. Arachidonic acid decreases the synthesis and storage of acetylcholine. Uh, that is present primarily in flesh foods, one of the reasons why meat does not come out on top, again, in regards to the uh, mental uh, performance. Of course, many people feel stimulated by a steak meal, and that's because the large molecules actually get into the lower brain, the pituitary gland, where there's no blood-blain bar barrier, and so you can feel a hormonal surge but that blood is siphoned away from the frontal lobe of the brain. If you're doing PET scans, you'll see that frontal lobe circulation go down as a result of the surge in the hormonal area, uh, and it actually imbalances um, the brain as a result. Ellen White says, eating much flesh will diminish intellectual activity. Students would accomplish much more in their studies if they did what? Never tasted meat. When the animal part of the human nature is strengthened by meat eating, the intellectual power diminishes proportionately. Again, ahead of her time. Now, this uh, was also a, a reverse study done by a British Medical Journal, published by the British Medical Journal. Children with high IQs are more likely to become vegetarians when they grow up. Study of more than 8,000 men and women age 30 whose IQs have been measured when they were 10 show that the higher the IQ, the greater the odds of becoming a vegetarian. For each 15-point rise in IQ scores in the study, the likelihood of being a vegetarian rose by 38%, and this was even after adjusting to factors such as social class, education, the link was still consistent. Why is that the case? Remember, intelligence is your ability to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. And so these individuals learned it, they retained it, and then they applied it. Part of having high IQ. 
So uh, for those of you that are vegetarian, I know occasionally I get asked, um, you know, when I'm in a group and they, you know, I was in a, a, a meeting the other night with some other businessmen, et cetera, and they recognize I didn't order any uh, uh, a meat. They weren't uh, part of, of my uh, circle group, uh, which uh, is aware of that. And uh, so often they'll, they'll ask questions about it. And I'm sure some of you that are vegetarians get asked questions. If you don't have a whole lot of time to go into the explanation and they ask you why you're a vegetarian, you now have a quick two-word answer. <laughs> High IQ. And then you can just go on. Uh, tyramine is a uh, false neurotransmitter. Uh, it actually does cross the blood-brain barrier. And it does. Um, cause neurostimulation that wasn't meant to be stimulated. Thus, it can be pretty confusing. It's found abundantly in cheese, wines, and rich foods. One of the reasons why hard cheeses in particular are not the best as far as mental performance is concerned. Ellen White says this, the sin of intemperate eating, eating too frequently, too much, and of rich, unwholesome food destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs, affects the brain, and what else? What area is she talking about of the brain? And then she goes on, preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. The next phrase after this is pretty alarming. Anyone know what the next phrase is? And this is a fruitful source of what? Church trials. So the argument in the church board meeting may not be due to what you think it's due to. It may be due to what the people ate before they got to the board meeting. And no matter how much the subject is explained, the frontal lobe capacity is not there to understand the principle behind the matter, and so division occurs. In fact, in another place, she says it's the most frequent cause of church trials. So you can see why the health message is intricately important for us to be able to even move forward in unity in the church because we, in order to move forward in unity, we need to have good functioning frontal lobes. Then she says this, few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their health. You know, even today, there's a disconnect between what people put into their body and the health of their body. They think there's a disconnect. They don't think their health is related to that. And of course, the evidence is abundantly clear. Your health is very related to what you're putting into your body and what you're doing with your body. But even in her day, few understood how much their habits of diet have to do with their health. Then she went on, few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their what? Few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their usefulness in this world. And finally, few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their eternal destiny. You can see why the health message is intricately important, even in regards to issues of salvation. And by the way, the word salvation itself comes from the word salve. It's actually a health term. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the root word of salvation means health. Uh, and so for those that think salvation is not connected at all with health, don't even understand um, what salvation is all about. Well, now I would like to... Um, go into the area that's not something you ingest. This comes from a hypnosis textbook that promotes it. Did you know there's places out there that pr promote hypnotism for certain diseases, et cetera? Uh, and by the way, uh, uh, the long-term studies on that are not very good. It is true that if you get hypnotized, you might have a, and if you're a smoker, it'll have a 6% chance of actually helping you to no longer smoke. But what they don't tell you is, in the process, you're very likely to pick up an even worse habit. Uh, and of course, because of that whole process of what happens with hypnosis. This is a textbook promoting it. Hypnosis attempts to do what? Cancel out frontal lobe functions. That's the idea behind it. And bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. Now, in the textbook, it tells you how you can hypnotize people. There's multiple ways. They say it's most easily accomplished by training the eyes to focus in on one object, the best object being a what? Little flickering light. Now, now it's important that the eyes be focused on that one object, 
and the light flicker, and of course the person that's hypnotizing is in control of the flicker, not the individual that's watching that light. What will happen then? The person will record information and duties without interpretation or without frontal lobe activity. Now what, and many people are unaware that they could have a hypnotic instrument in their own home. What trains the eyes to focus in on one object and flickers? <laughs> Entertainment television. And by the way, what causes the flicker is the rapid scene of reference change. You can actually watch that in a dark room. You know, if someone's watching a, a TV in a dark room, an entertainment television program, just watch the light on their face. Every two to three seconds, it changes significantly from the light on the screen because of the camera switching that is going on. This constant camera switching. By the way, C-SPAN does not hypnotize. <laughs> Why doesn't it hypnotize? Because there's one camera view. And that's it. By the way, it's, it's um, um, very uh, unnatural to stare at a television set with one camera view. I've seen people watch C-SPAN in their home and no one is staring at the set. They're looking around, they're listening, that there might be a prop where someone's demonstrating something on there and going to it, and then they'll look at that prop and they'll look at the data. But you know what's very common when you see someone watching C-SPAN? If they're involved in the program? they will start arguing with the presenter. <laughs> and they'll say, you know, that's right, but he forgot about this. He forgot about that. He's only presenting one side. Do you ever see anyone do that while watching an entertainment television program? It may be hideous information that's being presented, and the person is just sitting there taking it all in. Why is it? Because studies show within 90 seconds of watching your favorite television program, you go into alpha wave rhythm. That is a hypnotic rhythm. Your emotions are working, your memory is working, but you're no longer critically analyzing the information and putting it in the appropriate subset. And that's why it can have a very adverse, profound effect on human behavior. Over 17 different areas of the frontal lobe get compromised as a result of entertainment television. And it's very, there have been over 3,000 studies done on it. One was just published last week. It actually got on the television news for the first time. Uh, the first of the 3,000 studies that got on the television news showing what entertainment television does to the frontal lobes and how it decreases not only intelligence, but it also decreases their emotional intelligence, their ability to control themselves when adverse situations begin to happen to them. Uh, and uh, very uh, clear cut in regards to what it does. It increases daydreaming. Studies show, by the way, daydreaming is not a good thing. The more you daydream, you're h the higher your risk of Alzheimer's. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's very clear. And uh, also, the, the more you daydream, the less creative you are. Uh, it decreases creative ingenuity. By the way, this is not something that's just known by a few people. People high up in the media recognize this. The best movie producers in the world themselves do not watch entertainment television or entertainment movies for more than 90 seconds. They'll look at a 90 second clip to see what someone else did, but they're not gonna do it to be able to suppress their frontal lobe. Why? Because they wanna be ahead of the pack. They wanna be the creative individual, so they will not watch it due to the fact that it's going to decrease their creativity. It's well known, you'll, you'll see this in the, in the, um, uh, in those circles. Uh, the more television viewed, more it decreases interest in reading, decreases interest in learning, reduces discernment, trains in non-reaction when we should be reacting, increases aggressiveness when we shouldn't be reacting, reduces sensitivity to violence. It's also very addictive. Anything that suppresses the frontal lobe is addictive. Uh, this study is well known in regards to um, if you stop watching entertainment television abruptly, which if you, are, if you are watching it, you should do, but you need to be prepared that your anxiety level is going to go up at first. You are going to probably have some insomnia. You might even have headaches, et cetera, withdrawal type symptoms. We used to put on five-day plans to stop watching or to stop smoking. We really need to be putting on five-day plans to stop watching television. Uh, a lot of people are, um, uh, are aware that it's harmful but don't know how to get away with it. And of course, it takes away precious time for family, achievement, and spiritual pursuits. The more TV you watch, the less achievement you'll tend to be, uh, tend to have. The less interest you'll tend to have in spiritual things, it, also due to that frontal lobe phenomenon. 
And you know, one of the things that is um, a clear a cut, uh, I mean, something that you need to analyze in your own life is what are you doing when there's downtime? When you have a couple hours of time in the evening that maybe you weren't expecting on having. How are you spending that time? Critically important in regards to your frontal lobe enhancement that will occur or detraction from it. Music enters the brain through its emotional regions, which include the temporal lobe and limbic system. From there, some kinds of music tend to produce a very positive frontal lobe response that influences the will, moral worth, and reasoning power in a positive way. So music can actually enhance frontal lobe performance. And this is very characteristic of uh, uh, certain types of classical music, uh, which most of our hymns are derived from, that can actually enhance frontal lobe function. By the way, there's a resurgence of classical music occurring in America today. It's well known. Um, and part of it is just the information and the data that's come out in regards to how helpful it can be. This was a picture I took myself at the Dallas Symphony not long ago during a Christmas concert. Uh, they hold their Christmas concerts 12 nights in a row, and uh, it's never advertised because it's all sold out. Very high ticket prices, etc. Uh, and it's sold out because of not only is it enjoying music, it's frontal lobe enhancing music. Uh, there's an organ company by the name of Johannes that is selling just classical based uh, pipe organs uh, and they're selling like, uh, their sales are going way up in America right now. And I asked one of the organ dealers what's happening and they said it's the young people that's driving this. It's actually people like OIC that are driving this, even in non-Adventist churches. And I said, what's going on with the young people? He says, they're rejecting the music of their parents. And they're going back to the music of their grandparents. Uh, and they haven't really heard the music of their grandparents, but once they do hear it, they recognize, you know, it's doing something for them. They're also looking at the studies, et cetera. And so uh, uh, churches that are dumping their Christian rock are actually ahead of the curve. Uh, in regards to where things are going uh, because of the, of the science that's out there. Other kinds of music will evoke very little, if any, frontal lobe response will produce a large emotional response with very little logical or moral interpretation. And this is characteristic of the traditional rock and roll music uh, that's out there. That a lot of people blame on the young people. It's not the young people. It's my generation and older. It's the baby boomers uh, that did this. And to try to have the baby boomers blame the young people for this music is not being fair at all. They need to put the blame on people like me uh, that, uh, that really brought this in. Uh, but uh, studies show the same thing in regards to if we hook you up to a brainwave monitor and you sit down in front of your favorite Christian rock band, that boom-cha, 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 you know, that's repeated, uh, where instead of making you want to march, it makes you want to stand up and swing those hips. Within 90 seconds, you'll be in alpha wave rhythm, three minutes at the very most. And so it's not just a syncopated rhythm on its own. If it's just a measure or two, it won't do it. But it has to be that repetition over time that actually suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain, showing us that upbeat music is not necessarily uplifting music. Uh, there is a difference. Interestingly, Ellen White described this. The things you have described as taking place in Indiana, the Lord has shown me, would take place just before the close of probation. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. She's talking about in churches. There will be shouting with what? Drums, Drums music, and what else? When you hear dance music played to religious music, you're actually hearing the fulfilling of prophecy. She then said this, the senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to do what? Make right decisions. What area of the brain is she talking about? The frontal lobe. It's suppressing that area of the frontal lobe. These people will not be able to make right decisions on a consistent basis in their life. But when this music is played, she says it will be called something. It will be called the moving of the Holy Spirit. But yet, it is a different spirit. It is a spirit that's meant to suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. Characteristics of brain optimizing music. Melodious, can be simple yet attractive. Melodies, beautiful non-dissonant harmonies. You know, what's happening, uh, I've noticed sometimes when we're going against, away from the syncopated rock and roll music, we're replacing it with dissident sevenths all the time. 
that is also not healthy for the brain. And uh, so the devil has multiple ways uh, in which um, this music can be distorted to actually get rid of the frontal lobe enhancing part of things. Now to have a seventh as a transition here and there is, is appropriate and okay. But to have it just center in on the, on the dissident is not good for the brain. Straight rhythms are best. Uh, even march rhythms are acceptable, like onward Christian soldiers. Uh, if, it wants, if it makes you want to get up and march, uh, that's uh, normally a good thing, but the rhythm needs to be less prominent than the melody and the harmony, and it's best if music tells a story. Those are the six characteristics summarizing a lot of studies of brain optimizing music, enhancing the frontal lobe of the brain. And uh, some time ago I was interviewed by a, a Christian a radio station uh, because of our book, uh, Proof Positive, that came out on the frontal lobe of the brain. And so they were going through nutrition and those type of things. But this was a, a, a radio station that played primarily this hard Christian rock. And uh, I was hoping they weren't going to get into the music, but I could see they were flipping through the book there. I was actually at the radio station, and they went to the music section. They started asking me about music. So, of course, I had to tell them what the data and the research showed. And then they just paused and said, you know, perhaps wouldn't it be healthy for you if you had religious words to this music? And I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you think alcohol would enhance the frontal lobe of the brain if people just drank it in church? <laughs> and the interviewer said, I see what you're saying, and changed the subject. Uh, the, uh, uh, within a few minutes, I got a call from the owner of the radio station. The owner was listening to the interview driving around town. Uh, this interview occurred in California, and my office manager said, the owner of the radio station wants to talk to you right now, and I kind of cringed. And I just said, hello. Dr. Nedley, and she said, you know, that was very interesting. She goes, I want all of your material. I know James Dobson personally. He needs to know about this. Uh, he, she was going to send it out everywhere, which really tells you that a lot of people, uh, they just don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's really the society we're living in. A lot of people haven't made personal choices to go in a direction that suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. Their culture has just taken them there. And when they learn a better way, they're very willing to, uh, to adopt that better way and to enhance it and to learn from it. Alvin Toffler is a secular media expert. He says constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the analytical processes. Here we are living in a society where there's more fun things to do than ever before in human history, but we have more depression. We have less emotional intelligence. What's going on? It's this constant stimulation of the senses shutting down the analytical process. So, so you have the syncopated rock and roll music. You then have sensual images going in a rapid scene of reference change. It's called MTV. Strong suppressant effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. He says this ultimately shuts down the ability to do what? Face life rationally. What will happen? This leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of what kind of thinking? Discipline. Discipline thinking when faced with difficult duties and decisions. How does it all start? Constant stimulation of the senses. And so we need to be careful in regards to our entertainment, what we're viewing, what we're seeing, what we're listening to. We must take care of our frontal lobe. We must protect it from mechanical injury. That means wearing seat belts. That means protecting the brain. We must supply it with good oxygen. How do we do that? Exercise. Uh, fresh air. We must give it good nutrition. We talked about that to some extent. We must get adequate sunlight. That helps with serotonin levels, helps with vitamin D, which is also important for the frontal lobe. We must exercise it. Just like a muscle, if we don't use it, what's going to happen? We're going to lose it. We must control the inputs over what we're seeing and hearing, reject things, abstain from things actually that are going to suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. We must correct our distorted thoughts. That's also part of frontal lobe enhancement. And we must prevent or control disease that affects it as well. This isn't a comprehensive list, 
One of the things we do at Weimar, it's one of our core of four, is making sure students and faculty are working with their hands at least two hours a day. That enhances frontal lobe function. Your hand motion is right behind the moral portion of the frontal lobe of the brain. When we improve that circulation, we're also improving the moral part. One of the reasons why the Lord gave Adam and Eve a work to do, to dress and to keep the garden, to keep those uh, hands uh, going uh, is also part of it. But as far as exercising is concerned, I can think of no better way than what the Bereans did. Acts 17 verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all what? Readiness, Readiness of mind and searched the scriptures. Would that, you know, uh, we could say weekly, even if people did it weekly it would help. But here they did it how often? daily, whether those things were so. What type of reading was this? This was a comparison, analytical, a deep thinking in regards to the phrase and looking at other places in scripture. Ellen White says, the Bible, just as it reads, is to be our guide. Nothing is so calculated to enlarge the mind and strengthen the intellect as the study of the Bible. As the mind is brought to the study of God's word, the understanding will enlarge, the higher power will develop for the comprehension of high and ennobling truths. So I ask you here this morning, do you want to be more intelligent? Do you want to be more analytical? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to have a greater capacity to empathize, have that true love for others? Do you want to have better discernment between what is right and what is not so right? You want to have a greater ability to see into the future and be able to reason from cause to effect. If you have an addiction, you want to have a greater ability to overcome it. That also requires frontal lobe phenomenon. And what we're talking about is, as far as the things that detract from it do have that addictive power. Do you want to have a greater power to follow your conscience? And finally, do you want to be more open to understanding and doing the will of God? If you answer yes to any of these, I would request that you analyze your life. See if there's anything you can do to change your life habits. Maybe they're only weekly or monthly habits that take you down to the road of frontal lobe suppression. But why not make a choice that you're going to live the life that Peter recommended? To gird up the loins of your mind and to be abstinent from anything that's going to adversely affect your brain's performance. The Lord will bless this decision. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and his three friends were taken in a major disappointment to them and to others. And they were put on a different educational program. And they were put on a different diet. The diet was called the king's meat and the king's wine. And it was thought to be the best. But Daniel and his three friends said we're not going to eat the king's meat. By the way, some people say, well, we don't have the king's meat anymore. Well, I just saw a Burger King not too far away from here. Uh, and uh, uh, there's also a Dairy Queen we went past uh, from the airport from here. So there's, there's the royal food out there. There's, a, there's imperial margarine. Uh, so uh, that royal food is still there. But uh, Daniel and his three friends purposed in his heart, says verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, a lot of people would say, you know, that's pretty narrow and bigoted of Daniel. He might be taking an own life in his hands over what he's eating. But verse 9 says, Daniel was brought into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. When he purposed in his heart, that's stepping out in faith and following God's plan. And as a result, the Lord poured favor and tender love. The word for that is grace. The Lord poured grace into his life. And how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. So as we step out in faith, the Lord will pour grace into our life. And when he pours grace into our life, along with the principles that he's taught us in abundant living, he will multiply that. And within 10 days, they looked better, they were healthier, they were stronger, everyone could tell the difference. And verse 17 says that within a year and a half, they were the sharpest people on the planet.
they weren't just 10% better, they were 10 times better uh, in all of the realm. And if you go on to verse, verse 20, it's amazing what happened through those four men. Then Ellen White says this, dear who? Youth. youth. This is a youth convention. Did you know the health message? A lot of people think the health message is just for people with heart disease, you know, who are Bill Clinton's age uh, and, uh, and need to get on a better diet. Uh, the health message is actually, was, uh, was revealed by God primarily for young people. Dear youth, God calls upon you to do a work which through his grace, you what? Can do. Show a purity of taste, appetite, and habits that bears comparison with who? Daniels. And notice now, God will reward you with four things. Calm nerves, a clear brain, unimpaired judgment, keen perceptions. The youth of today, whose principles are firm and unwavering, will be blessed with health of body, mind, and soul. What a promise. And I am encouraged today, I think we're seeing more young people take this pledge upon them than ever before in my lifetime as I look around the nation. And I know that's what this organization is all about as well. Uh, is showing that purity of taste, appetite, and habits that bears comparison with Daniel's. God will indeed, as you step out in faith, God will pour grace into your life. And that grace will be exhibited and be able to be seen by many. The Lord has given man a capacity for continual improvement, Ellen White says, and has granted him all possible aid in the work. You know, uh, as we, I'll read that next paragraph here in a little bit. But as a result of coming here this weekend, you have stepped in to the largest room in the world. Do you know what the largest room in the world is? The room for improvement. And uh, the Lord, let's look at that again from that standpoint. Lord has given man capacity for continual improvement. He's created our brains to actually be able to improve and improve and improve. And has granted him all possible aid in the work. Through the provisions of divine grace, we may attain almost to the excellence of what? Almost to the excellence of angels. What a promise that is given. Well, before we close... I'd like to look at the end of things. Revelation 18 and 19 tell us, and 20, those uh, three chapters before the final two chapters. Final two chapters tell us about how the, this universe is going to be once sin is wiped out. Uh, the third of the last chapter tells us how sin is going to be wiped out. By the way, that's the opposite of Genesis. Genesis starts out with how this world was without sin for the first two, and then the third tells us how sin was introduced. Uh, but the third of the last tells us how sin's going to be eradicated. But in that eradication, there's about three chapters leading up to that. Revelation 18 asks the question, how were so many people deceived? In the end, it's going to be very clear that the vast majority of humanity was caught up in a major deception that doomed themselves. And they did themselves in. And they did others in. And the question is asked, why were so many deceived by this deception called Babylon? It talks about how Babylon's going to fall. Everyone's going to see it with this fall and how silly it was and how bad it was. In fact, the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. This is talking about Babylon. And then it gives the reason. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. By how? You know what the Greek word for sorcery is? Pharmakia. You remember we talked about drugs and what it does to the frontal lobe of the brain? But you know, you don't need drugs to do that. It can be entertainment. It can be a whole host of other things that suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. And by the way, when you suppress the frontal lobe of the brain of others, and if you sell that suppressant, you can make a lot of money off it. The easiest money to be made in this world is suppressing someone else's frontal lobe. It's very well known to be easy money. 
And that's why it says, for thy merchants were the what? Great men of the earth. The people that made a lot of money knew how to capitalize on this. They were merchants that were great men of the earth, and it was by their pharmakia that all nations were deceived. And by the way, if they're selling it, they're participating in it as well. They may recognize what it's doing to others, but they've got frontal lobe problems themselves. They don't have that empathy, that love for others that they should have. And so the reason why so many are deceived is because of the massive corporate frontal lobe suppression that's trying to be occurred in every nation, every culture on a massive scale. And that's the underlying reason that the Bible gives why so many are deceived. God has a better plan for your life, however. And this plan is mentioned in the Bible, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? living sacrifice. A lot of people think to give up these frontal lobe suppressants, you know, even to give up caffeine. I have that discussion in the GI world a lot. You have to give up caffeine and boy the sweat starts pouring down the individual. I have to do what? You want me to do what? It seems like such a tremendous sacrifice. No matter what the frontal lobe suppressant is of choice, you, uh, when we talk about Hollywood movies, and you know, people, when people recognize in our home, I just uh, mentioned it the other day, we had some new girls working it with us in the GI lab. And I says, you know, that's one of the reasons why we were discussing this study that just came out in regards to what happens to television in the brain. I said, you know, that's one of the reasons why we don't have television in the home. And this girl, my surgical assistant, looked at me and she goes, you don't have TV in your home? And I said, no. We haven't for years. What does your family do for fun? <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, how can you live an enjoyable life without these frontal lobe suppressants? And what she doesn't realize is our family is having a lot more fun than their family is having. A lot more abundant life, a lot more enjoyable life. And so it seems on the surface to be a sacrifice, these things. But you know what kind of sacrifice it's called? A living sacrifice. You know, the sacrificial lamb died. Christ died. But this is a different type of sacrifice. This is death to your own desires. But in reality, it will give you more life. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. Now, some people would call this living this lifestyle extremism. You know, this is kind of extreme. By the way, is it an extreme for a quarterback to not consume caffeine? Is it extreme for a mental health worker who is wanting to get into medical school to eliminate meat from their diet? No, those wouldn't be seen as extreme at all. Why is it thought of as, extre as extreme? Is it extreme for a television movie producer to make the choice to never watch an entertainment television or movie program? No, that's not extreme. They're wanting to advance themselves. Why it's considered extreme is because it's comprehensive. You're not just doing the caffeine. You're doing the music. You're doing the, uh, the appropriate forms of entertainment. You're doing the daily Bible study where you're into the word, it's a comprehensive lifestyle. And in certain elements, it wouldn't be seen as extreme at all, but the reason why the world views it as extreme is because it's so comprehensive. But what does Paul call it? He doesn't call it extreme, he calls it your, your what? Reasonable. Your reasonable service. And then he goes on to say, be not conformed to this world. In other words, conform to its diet, its culture, its customs that suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I will close with Proverbs chapter 8. For wisdom is what? Better than rubies. And in fact, all the things that may be desired, whatever your desires are, all the things that are to be desired are not to be even what? Compared to it. 
So if it requires sacrifice or the appearance of sacrifice to pursue wisdom, it's worth it. It is worth every ounce of energy that you put towards it. And so I would like to see today how many of you are committed to pursue wisdom in a comprehensive, complete way? How many are desiring, even if it goes against, and you know, all of these frontal lobe suppressants, some of us are going to have some desire for some here and there. It's just a natural human phenomena. It's going to happen. And even and when you're down and you're not feeling good, the easy thing to do is to reach for a false way of changing the way you feel. And that is just change into a frontal lobe suppressant instead of changing your thoughts and doing something in a more disciplined manner in pursuance of wisdom. But how many of you want to commit that I'm not going to follow my way? I'm going to follow God's way of abundant living. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, you've seen the hands that are raised. Those who have made a commitment to comprehensively follow your lifestyle, a lifestyle that's been well proven now by science, and a lifestyle that has been confirmed by the spirit of prophecy and by the Bible. May each one of us commit ourselves to trust fully in you and your plan. And even though it may seem that we're going to lose money, that we might lose happiness, help us to trust fully in you, to recognize that you never ask us to give up anything that's not for our own best good. May we trust in your love for us and in your counsel and submit ourselves to it. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.